0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to ADV Moto Live number 15. Today we talk about innovation. Innovation is the key to moving any industry forward, but it's not easy. Aside from the passion, vision needed to synthesize something new from seemingly dissimilar ideas, it takes a whole team to make that idea a reality. What does it take? Find out tonight on ADV Moto Live. But first, I'd like to bring up a little bit of news, or maybe uh, call it some food for thought. Much of the West is on fire. And uh, this is actually affecting our guests tonight out of Washington state. As of September 12th, uh, a total of almost 3.5 million of California's roughly 100 million acres of land has burned, and this is setting an all time record. As a total today, we are looking at almost 9.5 million acres toasted across the American West, uh, with arguably not enough manpower to fight them all. You know, because of 9-11, uh, we did hear some, uh, about the struggles of first responders, largely in urban, uh, areas, but I would like to take a mention, um, uh, take a moment to mention the wilderness firefighters who have to deal with this on a nearly yearly baseless, uh, basis in a year, uh, when a lot of things are politicized. I hope that we can all agree that the frontline firefighters in this year's wildfires could use a little support. Not only are they protecting people, uh, their property and their livelihoods, but wildlife as well. And uh, sometimes this comes at the cost of friends and family. So if we could, please take a moment to consider the men and women who run and jump out of airplanes into fires to keep fellow Americans safe and our country beautiful. Please uh, check out the link below. Uh, It's called the Wildfire Firefighter Foundation and one of the hardest foundation names to say at WFFoundation.org and consider donating anything. Donations don't just provide a monetary relief, um, but they also show that someone cares and appreciates the work that they do. But now on with the show tonight's guests have done an amazing job of bringing new elements to motorcycle luggage and clothing systems, combining a little bit of backpacking design with innovative material use and application and a whole lot of handshaking at rallies uh, that they spend a lot of time traveling to. They have made Moscow Moto one of the leading motorcycle brands in only seven years. Everyone, please welcome, uh, Peter Day, Ashley Myrie and Andrew Bryden. Yay! You guys there? Oh, that's sweet. Moscow on air. That's awesome.
1: A customer sent that to us as a surprise. I thought it was hilarious. No (laughs) way. That's all
0: custom cut. It's pretty sweet. Uh, Hi. How's it going, Carl? Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you guys doing? We're good. We're dealing dealing with all this smoke out here, man. It's crazy. Yeah. What is up with all the smoke out there?
2: Oh, my God. It's like this huge fog bank descended on the Pacific Northwest last week, and it hasn't let up. It's incredible. Sometimes it gets more dense, sometimes less, but it's like pretty uh,
3: oppressive. Like it's everywhere. People are kind of staying inside and it's trippy. Mm -hmm. What's crazy is that we're the lucky ones. You know, there's just south of here, there's whole towns that have been wiped out. So it's hard to complain too hard about it.
1: Yeah, we can't really complain about the smoke when we haven't been devastated by the fires. But I have to say I was in Portland um, two days ago for a few meetings and walking around downtown and not only seeing all of the Remnants of the political unrest and um, civil unrest that's happening in the city. There's also everyone wearing not just a mask, but like N95s and full on respirators walking around the city. And then the smoke hanging everywhere and the sun burning so like red and orange and bright. It was
0: very, very spooky. Wow. Wow. So, So it almost feels like a Martian landscape or something like that, right?
1: yeah, I hope that slightly painted the picture for you. It was pretty, pretty
2: bizarre. (laughs) It's like the pandemic said, don't do, don't do any indoor stuff. And then the smoke came and said, don't do any outdoor stuff. You just can't do anything.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's very true. This has been a hard year on many, many levels, but uh, Andrew, you just uh, got home, right? From what was it? You said a four, four or five hour drive from the coast.
3: Yeah, we went to the Washington coast. So just wet, kind of a bit Southwest of Seattle, where Seattle is totally socked in with smoke too. But if, There's something about this part of the coast where it was just this thick kind of foggy air, coastal air that was the smoke was not able to penetrate it. So when you look at the smoke maps, it's right. It was right over it all. But I think it was maybe a thousand feet up or something like that.
0: Oh, okay. So
3: it was nice to get a break from it. But we just had to come back and hopefully um, the winds are going to start blowing tomorrow and we might get a bit of rain, too. We hope. But then now there's flood warnings that we just got (laughs) too. like flash flood warnings, which we don't normally get out here, but it's just everything.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, on the, on on the East coast, as we were talking about just, just a few seconds ago, um, uh, you know, there's so many hurricanes coming out of the West coast of Africa that they've run out of normal alphabet names. They're going to have to start using a Greek alphabet, you know, like the alphas betas and all that other kinds of stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, stuff is stuff is definitely the heat. Literally is turning on uh, on on so many levels. Well, tell you what, um, I'm sure a lot of people don't, you know, don't don't need to have introductions, but we like to do it anyway. Could you guys please introduce yourselves and what you do? Sure. Uh, I'm Pete. Uh,
2: so
3: I'm a co-founder of Moscow along with Andrew. And I'm I'm Andrew, other co-founder.
1: And I'm Ashley. I am our brand creative director at
0: Moscow. Awesome. So day in day out, what do you guys do? Boy, it sure changes a lot. We're a small company so everybody wears
2: a lot of hats, you know. But for me, uh, normally, uh, when there's not a pandemic happening, you know, we do a huge number of shows and events. So I spend a lot of time at shows and events, uh, you know, meeting riders, talking about gear, doing presentations on travel and stuff like that. Um, And then, you know, in between that, I'm dealing with a lot of the administration of the business, the finance,
0: you know, paying people, that sort of thing. Good old good old paying folks. How many events do you guys go to? I mean, I know this year is probably a little unusual because of all the lockdown that occurred you know it would, at the end think of the it first would be around
1: 30 to 40 events kind of between the US Europe and Australia
2: we had 42 on the calendar this year and they
1: you know they've all been canceled we did a few in the spring and Europe yeah, is Europe is back yeah. to having events yeah, that's right smaller yeah. smaller events like meetups and things with you know 30
0: 40 people but all the all the big shows have been canceled pretty much everywhere wow oh, wow yeah yeah well you know what um that might not be so bad anyway uh you know sometimes the rallies, uh, you know, when they get real large, I mean, it's, it's nice from, and from an industry customer standpoint, but, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes the ones that are, you know, around a hundred to 200 people or something like that, or maybe even slightly smaller, they're, they're nice because they're intimate and you get to know people for sure. It's true. you know, uh, you know yeah. and, and, and talk, but that is a hell of a lot of events. Uh, yeah, you know, that's, yeah, that's, that's crazy, Andrew. So I guess you're not, you're not traveling around as much uh, with them. So what does your daily grind look like?
3: So I'm, my a title is design director. Uh, but I, I basically, I think what I spend most of my time doing is designing all the baggage that we make that goes on a bike you know anything that can be strapped on a bike or strapped on your body to go riding that's kind of in my purview um and then but then there's lots of other little things that i'm working on as well um hard parts and just other products and things like that and then there's there's plenty of just kind of general putting out fires and talking you know on the phone with people or whatever it
0: is meetings all that stuff that it takes to run a company yeah awesome awesome so can you share with us all you know, how did uh, how did all of you get into riding? And then how did you get into adventure riding?
1: Gosh, um, I started riding like, dirt bikes on a Honda 50 when I was 5 years old. My grandparents have a big piece of land right outside of Yosemite. And my cousin and I would rip around on the little 50 back on the back roads that connected to the, the rear of my grandparents' property. And my grandpa also had quad trails all over the place. So we'd ride on his quad trails and adventure around. Um, so that was my first introduction to motorcycles. And I honestly had no idea that they would become my life. I really didn't. I didn't even know that adventure or dual sport bikes existed. i had moved to Seattle and a friend of mine got a bike and told me that it was a $25,000 motorcycle. And I was just like flabbergasted. I was like, what? What do you mean? And uh, so I went on a, a trip. I sat on the back and I went on a weekend trip. And I thought, oh, man, I was a backpacker and that was it. I, I knew I needed a bike. I got one in less than six months. And yeah, I rode like 10, between 10 and 15,000 off-road miles that first year of having my BMW 650 Sertau. And yeah.
0: Oh, so that was your first bike.
1: That was my first bike. Yep. Yeah.
0: Street legal I bike.
1: I man. I walked into the dealership in Seattle and there was this beautiful, like it looked brand new. Bike sitting there, and I walked up and said, Is this new? And they, no, no, it's used. The guy uh, broke his leg right before a trip. So he oh. put like $4,000 of aftermarket parts into the bike, broke his leg on a trip he was doing with his dad, and then just couldn't handle it. Like the emotional aspect of having the bike sitting around and not having gone on the trip. So I scored. I got it like in my with four grand of aftermarket
0: parts on it. I was stoked. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. And Pete?
1: Yeah. Uh, I, you know,
2: Uh, As a kid, I spent a lot of time hitchhiking uh, around the country. Uh, By the time I was like 17 or 18, I'd hitchhike back and forth across the country probably half a dozen times. And that led me into um, riding freight trains, which I also did quite a bit of. Uh, And when I was in college, I was still kind of doing that stuff. And I I hitchhiked up to Alaska. uh, And I ended up working in the canneries up there for the summer. And I came back to college in Colorado. And I was kind of flush with cash. And uh, I was driving with a buddy. I didn't have a car. I don't even remember if I had a driver's license. But we were driving down the road and there was like a Honda nineteen seventies Honda C V five fifty for sale on the side of the road with a huge cardboard sign that said three hundred and fifty bucks. And I just oh. was like immediately kind of enchanted by the idea of getting a motorcycle and, and traveling around on it. So I, I we pulled over and bought it and I, I didn't even know how to ride it back to the house, you know. <laughs> I had to get another friend to come back and, and and uh pick me up and I sat on the back and got some lessons and then eventually rode it myself and I don't remember when I actually got a license and an endorsement and stuff, but um, that was my first car, you know. So I, motorcycles is how I got around. Um, after college, I ended up, uh, getting a conversion van that I could sleep in the back of, which was, uh, something I needed at that stage in my life. But then, uh, I started doing a bunch of international backpacking and I was on a, a trip in Southeast Asia and I was just kind of burned out on back, backpacking culture, you know, hostels and, um, you know, guided, little guided trips and the little binder books with all the little tours you can do. And so I just like really don't like that version of travel. And somebody gave me the idea of buying a, an inexpensive motorcycle. In Hanoi, uh like a like it was a Russian mince, a little hundred and twenty five cc two stroke. I ended up buying that and my backpacking trip turned into a motorcycle trip and that started, you know, that was about twenty years ago, um started me on the path I'm on now. That led to a BMW eleven fifty in the US where I was doing mostly road and graded dirt, and then that led me into more and more dirt riding, uh smaller
0: bikes, and then eventually into dirt bikes as well. So and eventually into Moscow. <laughs> well, okay, so to scratch back a little bit. Yeah. Are you telling me that you used to be a modern day hobo? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. With the stick and the and the handkerchief with all your worldly possessions oh, tied yeah, to the yeah. end. And everything.
1: It was way cooler. Yeah. Dreads, dreads
0: and, you know,
1: super dirty clothes, in my opinion, pretty sexy. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. good. It was a good look. I was more, you know, I was, yeah, I think when you picture a hobo, you picture like the older guys <laughs> in the
2: depression and stuff like that, but there's... There's a whole nother class of freight train traveler you know that's younger <laughs> and uh it, it um and you know that's that was the tra- the crowd that I was traveling in at that time and yeah it was a pretty incredible experience you know it was neat. Mm-hmm. And it's neat it's a dirty uh dangerous way to get around the country but it's also pretty exciting and it takes you into some very unusual places and, and
0: situations yeah I think that's something uh it'd be cool for us I would love to hear more about that you know separately <laughs> too, maybe around a campfire sometime yeah, i'm, I'm sure you have another story <laughs> have a lot of stories there yeah that's fantastic uh, all right
3: andrew yeah i feel like i i was kind of always drawn to motorcycles and so at some point maybe in middle school i bought a mm-hmm. um a moped a honda moped off a of friend for 40 bucks mm-hmm. and i just thought it was so cool because i'd just gone from you know a sort of a crappy mountain bike to all of a sudden another crappy vehicle, but it actually went on its own, you know, it did about maybe 30 or 35 miles an hour or something. So to go from a bicycle to that was just this huge, just blew my mind, you know, and I just I was like, all of a sudden, I could ride anywhere I wanted. And uh, because mopeds are sort of this, you don't really need a license, and the cops don't really you, you sort of look like you're on a bike. you know it was just this total freedom machine and uh, and then i I think I sold it for twenty bucks, so it cost me twenty bucks to own it for a couple of years. And then I bought a Honda passport, which is like a little you know the type of scooter you see all over Asia. yeah, it's three cool. speeds, but they do maybe maybe fifty miles an hour or something, so it was a big upgrade. And I can remember, you know, this is like back when you're young enough, you can't drive, really, or or like, I guess we could drive, but nobody could afford a car. So we're still busing around and stuff, but I could run it for a week, basically on bus change. Wow. And, uh, and then wow. there was, I was just always combing the papers. And I, I sort of, I, I kind of had it in my mind that I wanted a. A bigger motorcycle that could do more stuff that maybe could ride in the woods or something. I hardly, I grew up in the suburbs, so I wasn't really from a dirt biking culture, you know, and, and obviously I knew about dirt bikes, but I wasn't quite sure really, you know, what, what it was about. And, uh, I saw in the paper, the local buy and sell paper that up the road, a few blocks, this guy was selling a Suzuki SP 250. And I went up and looked at it and it was just this. It was just in great condition. It was this awesome little enduro bike and uh, I didn't have the money. So I brought up all my skis and was like, here's, here's my skis as a down payment and I'll get the money together. So it took me a couple of days to get the money together. I can't remember how much it was. But so I bought that and I, that was kind of the same thing, uh, as you just said, Pete, that reminded me. I have a similar story. I went up there to, to look at it and test ride it. And I didn't even know how to ride a motorcycle with a clutch and gears because none of the, these little scooters had clutches. So I just got on and just like shot up this guy's driveway and over <laughs> a curb and, and hit all these bumps, but it was a dirt bike. So it just sucked it all up. And I, I just instantly, I was like, okay, I'm buying this thing. I'm buying this. Like, <laughs> you know, I brought it back and did the deal and i never really looked back then after that i moved up to 500s old honda xl 500s this would have been in the i guess the early 90s and i generally was riding sort of like 1980 or 81 bikes so they were, didn't even have the monoshock they were just mm. big jolting kind of springs in the back and i used to have to wear a kidney belt to go dirt biking because
1: oh, they what? weren't even
3: yeah, because they, they, the suspension was so bad. And where I was riding, it was north of Vancouver, British Columbia. So it was these old mining roads that were all rocky and bumpy. And I didn't really know, even know that you should be standing on the pegs. So I was just <laughs> flying through all these mountain roads, just sitting, you know, and just shaking my insides apart. And <laughs> and I would come home and tell my dad about it. And he, he finally went and got me a, a kidney belt that truck drivers wear. And he's like, here, wear this. <laughs> <laughs> Now go bounce around. Now go bounce around, yeah. And I just had I had zero money. I mean I had enough money to put gas in it and I, I never changed the oil on it. I never had riding boots. It was all just mm-hmm. whatever shoes I had and jeans and, and the cheapest helmet I could get, but
0: So does that mean in twenty twenty one there's gonna be a Moscow Motive kidney belt? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. ADV, K- ADV KB. Well, we've come along,
3: the armor that we wear has kidney belts luckily but i i have had that thought like huh this is interesting i don't get my insides shaken up as i as much as i used to on these new bikes I'll, and, never forget, a
1: lot more. I'll never forget riding on the back of the bike with you years ago when the clutch went out on both of those bikes and we were all stranded and we had to get out and i had to ride on the back with you and i was like oh this is going to be great i don't have to do anything and you were a crazy rider <laughs> i was like oh okay. my god you you so Andrew's nickname, Carl, is Wildcat. And I was like, there's another reason for his nickname. Uh, but to me, that was the reason at the moment. I was like, wow, this is wild.
0: <laughs> that's right on. You know, uh, something I should also like to follow up with you, Andrew, is your thoughts about the e-bikes. You know, not oh, like the motorcycles, but like the electric bicycles. Uh, you know, it sounds like you have an appreciation for light. Oh,
3: I do. Yeah. that's Yeah. yeah. The, the, Pete Nash must have tipped you off or something like that. No, but no, I, no, no, we didn't. No, no, no. No cuz I'm I'm just so all in on e-bikes. That's so funny. I have I I have a couple of e-bikes. One that that my wife and I haul our kids around on, you know, it's it's one of those rad wagons. It's like a station wagon of a bike. And uh and then I had to ride You Had to ride many. many. They're great. Yeah, the fat tire one, man. Yeah, that the, thing was boss. They're just great bikes. Yeah, and yeah. Now, now I have this Super 73 which is is sort of looks like a a retro 70s motorcycle, but it's a classified as a class two e-bike. and But it, it does like 30 miles an hour. So it sort of goes as fast as a moped, which is kind of as, as fast as you need to go on a bike. It, any faster, it would be pretty scary, I think. Uh, but oh, I'm just all in on e-bikes. I love them.
0: Yeah, you know, there's there's something that I think a lot of people in this country don't understand. But, uh, you know, Bull Taco, right? Yep. They have crazy e-bikes now. That's all they do is actually they have these sick looking e-bicycles that look like dirt bikes. Oh, really? So, yeah, they're worth checking out. Just go to boltaco.com. There's a the little plug. <laughs> what is it? So they aren't advertisers or anything, but just <laughs> go check them out. <laughs> I they're like, actual- oh,
1: sorry. what is what the Can hell is a the the Yeah,
0: Boltaco. It's a Spanish uh, yeah. company. It's been around forever. Yeah, they used to do dirt bikes here. Yeah. Kind, of, kind of like old enduro bikes. I think that was during like, the 60s, 70s or something, right? There's a <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't think they were around in the 80s. Anyway, they have some sick bikes. Uh, some of them are for more like commuting, but they have versions of it for racing. They're uncorked for racing and competition. Cool. So cool. if you're into it, check it out. And they are some of the nicest looking <coughs> I've cool. seen too.
3: So well, anyway. I, I can't wait for the fully functional electric dirt bike. I think you, that's totally I mean. yeah, yeah. Me too. Hell yeah. So of them you can go out and do like, three or four hours on and because the, the, the the one of the real bummers for about dirt biking for me, even though I love it is the sound the sound is just kind of destroys it for everybody else who's in the forest. You know, at least around us, we're not in um, OHV areas where we're doing it off in the woods. So I'm definitely kind of always a little bit, um, feeling bad about that when i'm out oh,
1: totally even though we do all the other sports like mountain bike and whatever when i come up on someone on the trail i'm always like oh hey hi i want to stop and like say You're hi like, I'm Andrew, too. I, yeah i also <laughs> i also love nature <laughs> Yeah, I remember Pete. Pete did
3: that when he was like, uh, you were wearing a tactical vest that that we were testing. You know that oh, that plate it had Molly all over it, and you're oh, yeah, your bike helmet. You're on your your two stroke, and we're always like chatting with mountain bikers because we usually know some of them because they're in our local trails, and we're mountain bikers too. And <laughs> he was like, "Do you think they they thought I was like I wasn't such an asshole?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm sure." <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure in your tactical vest and your helmet and your
0: two struck motorcycle you <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it, um, they
1: were big fans.
0: What can you do?
3: Big fans. Yeah. yeah
0: that's great. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Uh we do have a question from the audience. Uh some guys you know, Jan Mark Stalens? Oh yeah, mm. cool. It's you, he yeah, uh he wants to know if uh if if Ash is wearing a wig.
2: Uh, no! no <laughs> this is my real hair, yo. My hair is
1: growing. And I've had it cut like several times now since uh quarantine. I almost shaved it off again though, a few weeks ago when I got the apparel live on the website. It was a big push that weekend. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I think my like gift to myself is gonna be that I'm gonna shave my hair off when I finish. But uh, there was one thing I didn't finish, so I didn't allow myself to do it. <laughs> oh,
0: okay, okay. Well, so ultimately, so you all got the background. How did you guys get together? Oh man, the,
2: you you want the the, the founding story?
0: Uh, what... Yeah, yeah. If you got something that,
2: yeah, Um, You know, it. I think the 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 idea for Moscow started. I'd been running a different business. I, I ran it for ten years and kind of left that business kind of got out of it and was really burned out on it and uh, and took off on a three-month motorcycle trip down to, to Panama. I'd been doing a lot of big international trips. And with this sort of like opening in my career, I thought it was a perfect opportunity to go do something a little longer. And I headed off uh, to um, Central America and I was using soft luggage. You know, I converted over to soft luggage a number of years before that um, for all the reasons that everybody knows, you know, the safety and, and not destroying them in the middle of the trip like I used to do with my hard boxes. And so I, I got some soft luggage and I was using it on this trip. And I just felt like kind of frustrated with how basic the bags were you know because i do a lot of other sports you know we, we all backpack we mountain bike we backcountry ski and so we use these incredibly sophisticated bags and i just thought why is there nothing like that you know for, for uh, motorsports and so uh, i connected with andrew through a mutual friend over email he was uh the senior designer at kind and he can kind of tell his perspective on the story uh, once i'm done but um we started emailing and I started sending him pictures of the bags and how I was using them and just like, man, couldn't we do something more interesting? And we had this really interesting email dialogue going and I was pretty excited to have this like real uh, industrial designer with all this bag experience, you know, to kind of look at this issue with me. And then I got in a horrendous wreck in, in uh, Northeastern Honduras and the Mosquito Coast and, and broke my leg and um, I had to leave the bike there, you know, was kind of stuck out in the jungle there for three days and then got airlifted to Miami and had surgery and like this big mess. and Came back and just like that, you know, suddenly I'm back in, back home in the gorge and, you know, hobbled with no motorcycle you know, just having had surgery. And, and I called up Andrew, you know, probably five or six days after getting back and was like, man, let's get together and start talking about this in earnest. <laughs> you want to take over awesome. the story from there, Andrew? Awesome.
1: I, I just have to say that Pete, like, no, if you knew Pete really well, you would know why that moment was so right for him, like latching into an idea and just like running with it. And getting Andrew on board because you being injured is not a great. You're like, I gotta have something. You gotta to do, something, you gotta, I gotta have do something, man. Gotta do
2: something, and and you know, I was, I, it was interesting because I really wasn't sure what I was going to do next, you know. And I had this this luggage idea, and I was like, God, that sounds like fun. It'll probably never work, you know. <laughs> it's cra- crazy. It seems it seem crazy to me at the time, but
3: you know, it just started talking to Andrew, and suddenly it started to get real,
0: you know. Right on, Andrew.
3: Yeah, so I was working at Dakine, like Pete said, and this uh, mutual friend, Cherie, came around the corner and I can't remember if she... Did you crash first and then we met? or
2: No, we were talking before that because I, I remember I was selling you, sending you uh, cell phone pics of like trying to get all my gear onto the bike in the morning and stuff like that. Like, oh, why is this so difficult?
3: That's you know? right. Yeah. So she, I think she came around over to, to my desk at one point and said something to the effect of like... You know, friend of mine is looking to you know looking for a, a, a freelance designer. I think was the the word she used <laughs> for yeah. you know and for this motorcycle bag idea, and, and she just kind of connected us and I have this history with motorcycles and off-road motorcycles and then obviously bag design and I'd actually made I remember the first time I saw a giant loot bag I was like wow that is so cool I just saw it out on the street and it wasn't even maybe it was 2008 or 9 or I can't remember when it was but I was just it was like wow that's cool you know a great way to strap something down onto a bike I think it was bright yellow and uh, I just thought it looked really cool so I made my own in the DeKine studio with the help of the prototyper there And, uh, you know, just kind of my own design of it. But it was basically kind of like just a a copy of the Giant Loop idea. And it was just a big enclosed thing. And then I think I eventually sold that motorcycle and uh, with the bag with it. And then Pete came along and, you know, so I had some photos of it. And I've always been interested in motorcycles. And I actually had this thought as well that that that'd be a really cool business, you know, making bags for... Off-road motorcycles. I don't even think I knew the word adventure motorcycle back then. And so, yeah, yeah, we got connected. And I, I remember we had this interesting dialogue back and forth where we kind of aligned on the identity of and the direction of the company. You know, it, it wasn't, it was just like totally, totally made sense. We both kind of idolize companies like Patagonia, you know, in their, in the, the way they do things, the way they build product, the way they stand behind it, stuff like that. So it was, it was a pretty easy fit that way and then it took us a while there's a bunch of feet dragging on my end you know for actually quitting a a well-paid job and i just my wife and i had our first kid so it it was uh it felt like it took a while to sort of quit my job and just cut that financial tether and and start doing the moscow thing but we eventually did it and so glad we did
2: i remember there was a
3: right when i was trying
2: to You know, we were having this conversation about cutting off our other sources of income to really focus on, on Moscow. We've been working on it for probably six or seven months and we've been working on making prototypes. We found a sailmaker up in Lyle who was helping us with the industrial sewing machines and it's just started to get real serious. And this took us a while to get to that point. And Andrew and I were like, okay, you know, we're going to do this. And I I had already severed my, actually my other sources of income. And so it was up to Andrew to do the same thing. And he said, well, okay, but I want to have, I want you to have breakfast with my wife. So we go went to this little diner in Hood River and like I was like, Oh, this is there's no way this is gonna work. <laughs> like she's just gonna be like this First is child. crazy. You got this incredible job with this yeah. like high profile company, it's like one of the coolest jobs in Hood River. And you're gonna quit to go with this crazy guy and make what? <laughs> and yeah. and you're gonna ride motorcycles. And she was pregnant at the time. And and I thought, and we had this great breakfast, but I thought, well, that's probably it. And I didn't know Josh, so I didn't know she's this like insanely adventurous lady that goes chasing <laughs> predators around the Mount Adams wilderness by herself, like in the middle of the winter. I didn't <laughs> yeah. know any of this about her. I just thought man. <laughs> that's
0: another story right there. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, she's she's something, <laughs> man.
2: But um, and in, instead, it sounds like she came back and said, "Yeah, do it," you know, which is just turned out great. But mm-hmm. I do remember that, and we we yeah. spent probably about nine months, I think, designing
3: the first products. Does that sound about right. Something, something like that, that. yeah have to go back and look at the blog yeah yeah right it's all on the blog
2: and uh we oh yeah that's one of the first that was what this is one of our 1st is hands-on
1: all right by my desk so i thought i'd hop up there and grab it real quick so that's
0: awesome
2: after all these rounds of prototypes uh that we've done you know sewing in the u.s we got to this so this was sewing with our our sailmaker
1: chip up in lyle uh mm. it doesn't look that much different than the product now that's yeah. one really cool thing that i love about it having it up on the wall it's like yeah of course you can see the, the differences you can see how the design has evolved but
2: i mean it took it's it would, pretty
1: damn good <laughs> it, would take the, one.
2: <laughs> it would take the three of us like probably three days to make something like that you wouldn't believe how much labor goes into one of those bags so we made a set of these uh and, and we needed to test them And now this is the following winter after the wreck. And, you know, it's snowing and freezing cold in the Northwest. And like, you can't just go ride around the block for a (laughs) test. Like, you have to put them to their faces. And it it was too cold to ride here. But I had that bike that was sitting, you know, down on this Honduran army base in the Mosquito Coast, which is where our name comes from, Moscow. And so, uh, we decided that the, the first testing trip would be a mission to go retrieve that bike. So I, I flew down to Honduras and uh, went out to the far northeastern corner on the Mosquito Coast and with this, these prototypes and uh, got the bike running and mounted these on it and rode, you know, 400 and something miles of dirt to get back to the road system. And then uh, continued on my trip down to Panama and flew the bike home from Panama. And that was our first test trip and uh, came home and the test went really well. You know, it was amazing. And so we put in our first factory order right after that. And we had to pick a name. And since the Mosquito Coast had played this uh, really pivotal role in the founding
0: of the business we went with moscow so where the lizard come from
3: uh, uh, so i i drew that and that's i was going through you know so our name was was moscow we we'd agreed on that and and i can't remember the other possibilities except for one was nut sacks that was the other possible... Oh, I remember Nutsacks. Nuts oh my <laughs> God, I heard that.
1: What?
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If anyone uh, doesn't like the name Moscow...
1: That's
2: the runner-up Nutsacks.
3: Nutsacks is the runner-up, yeah. And we had, <laughs> we had one what? of those classic... Why? Well, that was Pete's idea. We had one of those uh, (laughs) plastic. What the hell? We were we're having a down down at one of the local bars, and just it was this like, okay, we got to come up with a name. I think we had them written out on a on a napkin or something like that, and it was Moscow nut sacks and a few others. And
1: so the the, well, it's
3: definitely not going to be nut sacks.
1: Instead of a lizard, it would have been a squirrel with a a sweeping tail instead.
3: Yeah. And a friend of mine had just, cause I was, I, I had just recently had a kid and, you know, with having a kid, you got to think of names. It's sort of a lot like thinking about names for a company. And he said, uh, one of the best pieces of advice he got is you gotta, if you think of a name, you got to go out to your back porch and scream it at the top of your lungs, like 10 mm. times. And if it gets annoying or it's too long to scream or something like that, it's not a good name for your kid, you know, <laughs> uh, cause they're going to have it for life and you're going to be screaming sure. it from your back porch. To <laughs> so That was kind of in my mind when we (laughs) were coming up
1: for Nutsacks.
0: (laughs) Nutsacks. That was (laughs) a close call. That was a close call for sure.
1: I don't know if I could work for
0: Nutsacks. I mean, come on. You know me neither. It was never going to happen. How about if it had a really creative font? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like, <the> <laughs> like maybe like graffiti style font or something it like probably that, would you have I mean? yeah, yeah it probably would have been some okay. kind of like like graffiti so art me. style or something i like gotta that.
1: log that in my i need to make a note nutsacks
0: so. yeah actually uh i think dan said uh you guys should make a shirt with a nutsacks logo just for fun
1: <laughs> just because <laughs>
3: That's a good just to idea. see what it would have yeah. looked like. You know what I mean? Just to see what it would have looked like. <laughs> it could know? be like nut sacks crossed out and then Moscow spray painted over it or something. Oh, my oh my that was
1: real. Oh, we just should totally do that. There
0: you go. There I mean, go. our That's minimum
1: cool. I think our minimums on shirts are like 48 shirts. We can definitely get yeah. through 48 shirts. For sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that would be fun.
1: I, I joined the Moscow team in 2016 and uh before that, actually it was I heard of Moscow for the first time in two thousand. I didn't know it was called Moscow, but my friend Gregory Hilchey in 2015, 14, 14, it was right after you guys had started. We were on a motorcycle trip on the Olympic Peninsula and the entire trip, he's just yapping at me about these bags. And I'm like, Greg, shut up. I mean, who gives a shit about the bags? Like, that is not interesting conversation. Like, let's move along. I mean, he's brought Thanks, it up Greg. Like, four or five times over the weekend. And I'm like... I mean, I I couldn't even tell you what I had on my bike at the time, but it just was not of real interest to me. And he's like, oh, well, you're going to take this other bag, one of our competitors, you're going to take that one because I'm moving on. I got these amazing bags and actually I'm going to be helping them out at the show in the fall. You should come check it out. And I was like, well, I'll come have a drink with you. But, you know, not about the bags. So I come to the show. I met Pete there for the first time. But funny enough, he actually doesn't even remember us meeting (laughs) then. If you ask the two of us how we met, we have different stories for that. So I met Pete for the first time in 2014 at the Seattle IMS show and honestly it wasn't I could hardly tell you what he even looked like. It was his energy that I remembered. Um, I, I watched him this sounds really creepy, but I stood there and like watched him talk for like five or ten minutes and I was like, wow, he is so like engaged and so present with the person that he's speaking with he's so invested in the conversation and there was this like light in his eyes and i, I didn't forget it you know um so and just- that hobo
0: stick with the with the handkerchief with all of his worldly possessions tied on the back yeah. right
1: and <laughs> the dreadlocks
0: and the dreads man. gets them every time pete
1: it was about a year and a half later that we actually went on our first date um and yeah, it was kind of history from there. And just visiting each other, like he was on the road with Moscow doing a bunch of shows. I had just decided not to go to medical school and was working for a nonprofit healthcare organization in Ben. So my schedule was pretty flexible. Um I could do whatever I wanted. And I met these guys out at a couple of shows, the first being Overland Expo. And really just to see Pete, because I missed him so much. It had been like two weeks since we saw each other. I just couldn't wait to see him any longer. So we, I flew out there. And I think just naturally, I hanging out in the booth with these guys, started picking up what they were putting down and hanging out with the writers in the booth, talking about where I'd ridden, swapping stories. That was kind of the beginning. And
2: Here we are Right then, we needed help. You know, we were growing a lot. Yeah, the, so it was months
1: in. later, but yeah, uh, yeah it just sort of naturally unfolded that way. And my how things have changed. I had no idea. I was like, oh, hmm, well, yeah, this is interesting. Yeah, well, you, I know, really yeah. you know, really imagine doing anything else.
0: Yeah, you know, I've, I've been telling folks for probably at least the f- past five, six years or something like that. Uh, and maybe it's not as much now as it was a few years ago. And that's kind of a good thing. But really. <laughs> recent years have been kind of like the golden age for ADV, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Which is that transitioning stage, you know, like I raced mountain bikes when I was in high school, just on an amateur level, you know, back with Diamondback Apex, people were still riding around on beach cruisers and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, was it, a Ned, Ned Overend and, you know, some of those guys back in the mountain biking world, you know, and that was like real raw, real like close. You know what I mean? Uh, if you went to a Norba meeting or a race at a local ski resort or something like that, you know, I mean, everyone was real tight. But then a few years after that, everything exploded. You know the you know the bikes got crazy technology, and you know, and the and the riders changed too, along with that, right? But there was that era, right, where everybody was just excited. Everyone there's just that core group of people that are just like 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 you're saying, you know, like people just took a leap. You know, like, uh, there's so many stories in the adventure world about about writers and, you know, well, also people in in, in the industry that just gave up their income, gave up their jobs. I mean, the, the ADV world is full of it. I mean, it's, yeah, it, that, was,
1: that was what was so amazing to me coming out to Overland Expo. It was really eye opening. You know, as I said, I had decided not to go to medical school and just sort of opened myself up. I created this vacuum of like, well, what's going to happen with my life? And part of that decision was not, not uh I can say that it had to do with writing, for sure. While I was uh, preparing that last year and riding off-road so much, I thought, oh man, this is about to come to a screeching halt. And then I come to Overland Expo and I meet Ted Simon. And I'm like, what this is insane and the community was just crazy i mean all the stories and being so inspired and um spending quality campfire time drinking whiskey and hanging around with people and just feeling like wow you're really part of something and that we all have this in common yeah we're doing it in different ways there's so much to learn so much to share
0: yeah it's uh it's absolutely fantastic so what's the creative process you know, so when you guys think of a new idea or something like that, you know, what's the, what's the, in a nutshell, what's the creative process? I mean, what what are the steps to to take a concept and, and, and turn it into a product that you can deliver to somebody?
3: I think it mostly starts from being on trips and using the stuff and having a problem, you know, and I mean, the amount of times Pete and Ashley get to go on a lot more trips than I do just because I'm raising kids and they go on these big, long trips and, and so they'll come back with, or, you know, it might come from a customer too, who's on a, uh, around the world trip. And so it just starts with a problem. Basically, how do we solve this problem? Or the, the problem's been sort of solved, but it's kind of unsatisfactory, maybe by some other companies out there. And so we, we just try to do it in the Moscow way, you know? Yeah. They, you know, we're very active on
2: like the, the forums like ADV Rider. We're super active on ADB Rider. A lot of people have probably seen our thread on there. You know, we've got millions of views and and, and tens, over 10,000 posts on it. And it, we get just like all this feedback on ADB Rider on our existing products, ideas for new products. And then everybody in Moscow rides, you know, everybody on our team rides, everybody has a bike. And so there between the feedback we get through social media, through ADB Rider and then our own experiences out on trips, there's sort of this like percolating process that happens, you know, where it's like, certain ideas like sort of emerge, you know, regardless of where they generated, they were originated from. But we don't, and we call it crowd, like crowd development. And and it is it has an aspect of crowd development. But it's like, it's not pure crowd development, you because if you it's not so much like we put out a poll and say, what does everyone want? And then we look at the thing that has the most responses and say, we're going to do that. We sort of have our own feelings about the sport and where we fit into it and where it's headed. And then we mesh that with all of this information that's coming in from all of these sources, plus our own experiences and Certain ideas just kind of like bam, we're on it, you know, like, and, uh, that's how I, that's how I would kind of you know, yeah. describe the inception process.
1: And we're all just so passionate about it. I mean, we, this is fresh on my mind because we just did it last week. We spent what two almost three whole days sitting up in the conference room discussing bags, discussing apparel, and, um, we we're not focused, we're we definitely listen to feedback and it's infused into the, the development process, but we're not going to the community and saying, What what do you want? Because we wouldn't have the products that we have right now. Um we kind of head off in this direction and we're we're pretty certain that if you're doing it the way that we're doing it, then you're gonna like this.
2: And then we get feedback. So then yeah. then once we've got a direction idea, then all all the feedback is on that idea. You know, yeah. and that's where we again are just getting all, all of this feedback. but there comes a point where you know Andrew's like, okay, that's enough data for Scott <laughs> for a barrel. You know that's enough information. okay now it's time yeah. to sort of have all that in the background, but also like set it aside
3: and dive in and start making stuff. Yeah, yeah. there's the, the, uh, the feedback is like a fire hose, right? So mm-hmm. I, I kind of look for two things in this fire hose and one is a trend. Is there a whole bunch of people saying this thing? And then the other thing is is nuggets. You know, like sometimes you'll just get this nugget will come out and it'll be just somebody's idea or, or just like I have this problem that would be great to solve. And uh, sometimes those things just kind of jump out at you, you know, and the trends you have to pay attention to like these these kind of like uh, 25 people said the same thing you know, said something was unsatisfactory with what we were doing or with what somebody else is doing, then then you have something there, you know, that's worth looking at. Yeah, but you also get a lot of crazy ideas. <laughs> so you just got to kind of read it all. It's like this fire hose.
1: I have to say for Andrew, because I know he won't say it for himself. Although Greg was badgering me during that initial trip where I heard about Moscow, and I, I thought I didn't care about bags. Man, Andrew is a wizard. I've never seen anything like like our our bags, I mean, it's incredible, especially you're having this like, you're having this really intimate experience on a long trip with whatever gear you've got on the bike. It's like your home, you know, it's, uh, it's really something special. I think I'm not the only one who has an emotional attachment to the, the gear.
0: Yeah, well, you, you uh, certainly spend a lot of time with your bags. And, uh, and, you know, and if you don't pack properly, and you don't do a lot of things properly, you know, your trip is a lot harder if you lose something or you forget something. I mean, I mean, you lose one item, <laughs> you yeah, or, just, if
3: you, or if all your gear gets wet and you spend three nights out at, out in a wet sleeping yeah. bag or something like that, but if you if you go through three days of rain and your panniers keep <laughs> your sleeping bag dry and you're cozy at night, then you just love your panniers. You know, I mean, you have this like emotional reaction to it, just like how people fall in love with their motorcycles, which I
1: totally get. That trip we were just on. So I hadn't ridden personally with the Backcountry 35s in at least a few months, more than just like a night, an overnight trip or a two day trip. And so Pete and I were out, he was out for two weeks, I went out for one week. And man, I swear, every time <laughs> I clipped the side compression straps together, I was like, God, I love these bags. It's just so it's so good. You know, we just updated the version twos. And there were some new features that I hadn't used. Um, I understood them. I knew why we did it. But yeah, it's uh it's really something when you need those features, when you need your stuff to stay dry and when all of your stuff is easily accessible, it's easy to fall in love with it. And it's the same with apparel. Yeah. You know, apparel is exactly the same thing. Like it's just this like the bags, you have this
2: <clears throat> very intimate relationship with it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, it really can shape the trip. Like if you're out on a trip and you don't have the right gear. It's and, and but then, like, just like Andrew said, like on this trip, you know, when, when I got into the middle of summer, I wasn't expecting rain, but I had the rack jacket and the rack pants, and like I'm riding in this like totally comfortable, you know, woodsman softshell pants and just a jersey and separate Dude. armor. And then it starts pouring down rain, and bam, I put on the rack, and I'm like bone dry, I'm, like, oh, I love this stuff. You yeah, know, it's just like, and what this,
1: about we found a guy who had broken his foot. Sorry, I won't go into like the whole story, but we found this guy in the middle of the woods. Well, we heard about him from some random people that like drove up and said, Hey, are you with the guy? No, we're not with the guy. Well, there's someone with a broken foot. Anyway, it took us like an hour. We finally found the guy. We had just given up and a bunch of his shit was broken. And because of one of the features on our gear, I was like, well, I can take your windshield. Well, I can take your boots. Well, I can take your stuff. Even though my bags were full.
3: Yeah. I was
1: able to take all of his stuff and like figure it out. He's like, well, where are you going to put that? Well, watch this. <laughs> I'm wow. like, how many years later? I'm still <laughs> that jazz. Yeah,
3: that that's interesting you say that because that's like where we don't really look so much in the motorcycle industry for designing our gear. We, we look to the outdoor industry, rock climbing, backcountry skiing, mountain biking, anything, anything where they've, they've really got it figured out. Usually works well on a motorcycle. Yeah. And I can remember when we were designing the backcountry 35s for our first kind of, you know, that's the first thing we designed was these panniers. And, uh, I think I ha- might have been using a backpack that had a beaver tail on it. You know, one of the, mm-hmm. the kind packs that I designed and Pete was like, Oh, let's put that on. That'd be cool to have on a pannier. You know, you could shove your shoes in there or something. And I was just like, No, you can't put a beaver tail on a, <laughs> on the side of a pannier. You know, when a motorcycle is doing like 75 miles an hour, it's just, it's just, I can't see it working, you know, but. Uh, when pete has an idea he gets excited about i've kind of learned to <laughs> to just go with it because if he's excited about it it usually means it's a good idea
0: yeah very very cool so uh you know when you guys started to make apparel i mean uh was that a big decision and why did you feel it was important to go that way
2: yeah that was a a, a huge decision for us and actually for anybody who's been following the blog I probably remembers that our first apparel meeting was in like I think late 2013 or early, no, it must have been late 2014 was our first apparel meeting. So, And yep. we just finally released it last year. So we were working on it for a very long mm-hmm. time. And it, it was sort of like, I think the, the, I looked around and I realized that I had moved away from integrated armor jackets and nobody out who I was riding with was using integrated armor jackets. Everybody was using separate dirt bike armor and then using a shell over the top. And when they chose a shell, they weren't choosing like adventure jackets with 20 pockets and all the zippers, these big sort of heavy jackets with the mesh sewn in liners. They were choosing skiing and mountaineering jackets. Um, But the problem with skiing and mountaineering jackets is the zippers keep jamming, they flap a lot in the wind, and they don't survive the crash. And so, you know, I was sort of like, man, why is nobody... It seemed like this thing where I was like, why is nobody doing this? Like, there's not really a garment out there for this, you know, like at least not a really high quality one. A lot of the the sort of enduro jackets and stuff that are sold out there are more, uh, I mean, they're just kind of like trying to hit price points, you know, let's put it that way, uh, trying to hit price points, you know, they've made a lot of compromises for price point. And, uh, you know, we wanted to, to take a different tack, because when you look at adventure jackets, and adventure jackets, you can, you might have all the pockets and all the zippers, but you can also get really nice fabrics, like really well designed garments. But if you want to get a better jacket, you have to get a bigger jacket, you know, and nobody was making a really high quality shell. And so and that kind of drove that The Andrew and I started talking about that, and it just kind of uh, drove us crazy that nobody was doing it. I mean, honestly, if somebody had been doing it, I don't think we ever would have started marching down that path. And uh, but uh, nobody was, and so we started. And it was, uh, you know, power was like a, a big hill to climb. Like it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of skeletons on that road,
0: you know. Uh, yeah. And- yeah, And there's sizing. I mean, you know, to me, it's just like, you know, you make a bag at a certain capacity, the bag's that capacity. Yeah. But, but with it's people, sizing. you have to have all this variation in human body sizes and dimensions. and Yeah. I personally think apparel is way
3: harder than designing bags. I'm definitely not an apparel designer. Yeah.
0: Scott <laughs> Bryan.
2: Scott, so Scott Bryan should really be on this call to talk about our apparel program. Um, but things really came to life when you joined the team. You know, we yeah. we had, I think, a lot of good ideas. But we needed a real pro and uh, Scott, Scotty and Andrew knew each other from before Scott had been at uh, Patagonia. And then he was uh, actually came in to kind of take over Andrew's job at the mm-hmm. And then when Andrew left to start Moscow, and then he came over and joined us at Moscow. And, you know, he's just a real wizard with apparel and our our program really came to life when he came on board, we started to finally click like we found the right material suppliers, That's the right true. vendors, the right factory, and, uh, and started getting prototypes we We're like, whoa, this is cool, yeah. you know. And then finally to a prototype, we're like, this is great. This is what I want. This is what I'd ride in. And so we're, we're, I think with the, you know, apparel, we're, we're, we've taken a very different path. You know, if you look at our collection page, you'll see that our stuff looks a lot different from most of the other companies making adventure apparel. And, you know, we're definitely more on the dirt side of things than the pavement side of things. And, but, uh, it's all interesting. And what we found is when we really, Just took the next most logical step and tried to create the things we needed. They ended up looking very different than anything else that was on the market. Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of great. You know, I think we're going to see a lot of change in adventure motorcycling apparel because the whole sport is changing. You know, people are riding more athletically. They're choosing lighter bikes. They're deliberately seeking out more challenging terrain and the the gear that's out there right now. That that's not the type of riding it was designed for. And so they'll find themselves getting frustrated, you know, getting hot. Just sort of like, God, oh, why can't I take my jacket off? You know, wanting lighter garments that are designed for more athletic riding. And so I think that when the market gets there, we'll be there.
0: Well, that's cool. So, you know, uh, I mean, that's a a ton of work uh, and, and indeed a lot of innovation that's happened, especially uh, only over a course of seven years. So is there anything... Cool, coming down the pipeline for you know Moscow Motor. Do you guys have any any cool projects that that they could take? Oh man! Or- always.
1: <laughs> always. yeah, I was gonna say. What well, I mean, we What do you want to hear? <laughs> what do you want to know? Because <laughs> I don't know something our, really
0: excited about. It's what know? we spend all our days working on.
3: One. Is the the next new thing.
1: I have one. So okay. I already mentioned that Andrew's nickname is the Wildcat. And we finally, people ask, Andrew is like m- a masterful backpack designer, right? That's what his, you know, his, his most well-known bags, most, uh, widely used bags are all backpacks. And so people ask, do you guys have a backpack? Well, that's a complicated answer. Almost everything we make turns into a backpack, but it is not actually intended to be a backpack. Well, we're finally about to have one and it's going to be called the Wildcat. And it does have a beaver tail. But it's a different beaver tail design than uh on any of our other bags, obviously, because it's backpack. But I think backpacks are incredibly difficult because there's hardly any room to do something unique. There are just so many, you know, like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna choose some different fabrics, you're gonna like, make the harness uh, more elastic, less elastic? Like, what are you going to do? It's It's been done. They're just so... Yeah, it also
0: up.
3: shares some of the difficulties of apparel because you do wear it on your body. So it has yeah. all these ergonomic uh, requirements that, that take a long time. So yeah, I, I definitely felt... When we started the backpack uh, program, I, I definitely felt a lot of performance pressure. Like, oh, boy... <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna be good. I know
1: I know you well enough now to know that you were like really we just didn't talk about it that much because we knew we would be talking about it if you had landed on something you were really excited about. So but what Andrew's come up with is really exciting. Um I I I'm actually using it on a trip that
0: I leave on this weekend, so awesome that's cool
1: yeah, yeah sure we got these cool little patches look it's uh oh
0: yeah show that yeah
1: Skunkworks.
0: works oh see the skunk works awesome
1: skunk works patches for all of our testing pieces that we're taking out but this one's in the final stages and yeah i couldn't be more excited about it it's so perfect for me carrying a little mirrorless camera too, just to sling it around the front and like grab my camera out of the beaver tail. It tucks away without having to be in any sort of like soft sided camera case. So it's just really easy to access. And yeah, hydration, of course, all that good stuff. But Carl, I can't and even tell it. you
2: how cool it is to like, be here like tinkering with prototypes, coming up with mm-hmm. ideas, getting all this stuff and then going out on trips and dressing head to toe. It's like either prototypes or finished goods that we produce. <laughs> and then outfitting the bike top to bottom with luggage and tank bags and accessory bags and tool rolls that will be created with our customers, you know, like in this kind of crazy way we do things and like to go out and just realize like, wow, everything here, like we're just outfitting ourselves. You know, we're not right. in we're not like, oh, we're going to also do uh, road riding gear or we're going to do, uh, you know, make snowmobile bags. Or we're not going to we're not in all we're going to get into bike packing. That's not us. Like we are outfitting just for one Type of riding, you know, one type yeah. of rider like us, like we're filling our own closets, and it's just the most gratifying thing to do. That it's was so fun.
1: weird. That trip we were just on, like, how many times did I say we're standing in a parking lot? I'm like, can you believe we make this stuff? What the? <laughs> I mean, th- yeah. it's crazy. Like the apparel project, especially when I came on board, I didn't really understand. I'd worked in high end ski shops. I wore Arc'teryx jackets. I got I, I know what quality apparel is like, and I I understood why I was purchasing it and what I was using it for, but I didn't really understand this whole idea. And I slowly transitioned, actually not slowly. I jumped right into, okay, I'm going to leave my jacket. And yes, I can relate to being in Africa and having to take all of my protection off because it's too hot and I'm unwilling to be that miserable. And how distracting is it? Like if you're weighing these options and Mm. and I just couldn't be more pumped about the direction we're headed.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it, it shows in the community, I think. We have a comment from an Alex Wilkes. He says, uh, "Everything you guys make is awesome. Love you guys."
2: Right on. <laughs> Thanks Alex. Thanks Alex.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, and that's that's exactly what you want. You want to have an impact on on the community through whatever it is you do. Whether it's making bags or or content or providing training or tours or anything like that, right? Yeah. yeah that's I,
1: I think is like really powerful and one of the reasons I love being at shows so much and talking about gear is not just cuz I'm a gearhead and I know all the reasons why we're doing what we're doing. And I'm so jazzed about it. But the ability to say, maybe it's not for you. I think people forget that you can say it's not for you. Like writing your doing is different. We're not trying to make a product for everybody. We're trying to, like Pete said, outfit ourselves. And so if I'm reaching into my closet and I'm pulling something else out, like, we better sit down. What are we? What's going on here? Yeah, yeah. You a lot of confidence
2: in, in 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 pulling on threads that maybe you wouldn't pull on if you were simply running focus groups and trying to figure out what a good product was doing it that way you know if you've used it yourself in context you're like i love this thing you just have it gives you this a lot of confidence to move forward even if it's a little odd which a lot of our things are a little odd i miss shows
0: yeah 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 well you know they, they, they will probably fire up uh actually just to be kind of unofficially officially announcing it uh we are traveling next week to a location to fire up the adv moto rally again great cool uh, in uh 2021 uh hopefully around spring we'll keep you guys posted if you're going to be in the area please do be cool for you guys to uh stop on by you know um it's, you know, speaking about community, you know, you guys sponsor, um, and and this this is the part of the success I think of, of really any any company these days. You guys sponsor a big diversity of riders around the world, and and we we had a question on here a little bit earlier about that on the chat room. So does you know how does someone contact you guys and ask for gear sponsorship? Uh, what things are you looking for? And um, you know how does someone know they're ready to be sponsored? In a way, I mean, the sponsorship is kind of its own question. You can even have a separate show on it. You know, but if yeah. you guys have kind of a nutshell thing on that, that'd be awesome.
1: You know, I'm probably going to give an answer that's not <laughs> very exciting for people, but it's the truth. To me, it's all about relationships. And so it's not just me managing it anymore. The task has grown to be too large. So um, by the help of many other people on our team, we chat with folks. The reason we don't have a landing page on the site that says like, here's a standard form, fill out your information and tell us what you want. Where are you going? You know, there's like, that's so bland. And like, everyone's doing interesting stuff, right? But like, who are you? And do you want to do you want to know us? Like, this is a relationship where we are people, it's a human connection. So like, reach out, tell us what you've got going on. We'll pick up the phone most likely and uh, hop on the phone with you. And yeah, that's how it all starts. So there's no cut and dry answer, to be honest. There's no like number of Instagram followers or like my YouTube channel does this. And so I'm going to give you like, I honestly don't even care. People will ask me, um, okay, well, what can I do? You know, I'm so happy. I'm so grateful. What can I do? And sometimes I have a directive, but most often I'm like, don't, I, I have no expectation for this. Use it and tell us what you think, you know? Like, that's it. I, there's no, doesn't make sense. It's so cheap, so cheap to pay, pay like that for, you know, likes, pay for follows, pay for attention. It, it just doesn't last. Relationships that's last.
2: Far. You know, we'll be out sometimes traveling, writing, and we meet people out on the road and we will meet someone who just like totally re- reflects our values, you know, mm-hmm. but they're just like a perfect fit with our culture. And we'll just make a decision to sponsor them on the spot and they'll have nothing to do. We don't even know if they have an Instagram. So right, those, exactly. those things happen all the time. You know, we, we do that kind of stuff all the time. We definitely have a soft spot for the dirtbag travelers.
1: Yeah. Cause like, like that's, Chelsea, that's, you, you know. know, Chelsea was going to be on this show, Carl, or yeah. we talked about that. And uh, Chelsea and I were just texting yesterday. She's had an awful, awful incident crop up with uh, herself being injured and having yeah. surgery on her eye. But anyway, that's a whole other story. But Chelsea, When we've had people as we, as we're growing and more people are joining the team, they're like, okay, well, I'd like to help you with this. So let's sit down and have a meeting about pro deals and sponsorships. How does this go? What are you looking for? And I'm like, oh boy, this is complicated. Um, (laughs) because there is no number of followers. Like Chelsea doesn't have a huge following, but what she has to say, what she's putting out into the world is meaningful. And as a person, you know, it just doesn't get much better. And so it's like, it's really a case by case
0: thing yeah it's cool. one of the, one of the things I like about her posts is uh, is some of the posts are actually written in poetry mm-hmm. and you don't and you don't find that a lot and then uh having the chance to speak with her a few times, she's uh, uh incredibly passionate to say the least yeah. about what she's doing, and she's very excited about it, you know uh, and also has had this kind of wrench thrown into her works because of the covid thing mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know, but that's how life tests you and even if you're, you know, stuck at home and you're not doing ideally what you'd like to be doing, you know, as as long as your eye is on the prize, that's all part of the adventure.
2: You know, yeah. a lot of times yeah. with, with sponsorships too, I mean, our gear is not cheap, you know, motorcycles aren't cheap, motorcycle gear is not cheap, our gear is not cheap. And it sometimes the people who have are out there doing the sport have made enormous sacrifices, you know, financial sacrifices to be doing what they're doing. And uh, it, it, those are the people that are really using it in context, like mm-hmm. to the max. And so... Yeah. Ironically, sometimes the people that are really pushing the boundaries of the sport simultaneously can't actually afford the gear that was built for people pushing the boundaries of the sport, and yeah. and those are the situations where you sort of can finance those sponsorships because we're selling product, you know, at full price to all of us <laughs> other working staffs like us. But those people we need to set up because they're out on the front lines, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, right mm-hmm. on, right on. Well, I do hate to cut a little bit short. We are at the at the one hour mark. We do try to keep it around here. Maybe we could schedule a follow up sometime or something. But uh, yeah, was,
1: you, would you mind if I shared something? Um, oh sure. Yeah, I just really quickly want to share. It. You were you were mentioning just all of the sort of angst and Chelsea having this wrench thrown up, and I, I thought it was uh, it might be meaningful for someone else or helpful for someone else to share this. I've been really trying to focus on like what's directly in front of me instead of at large you know, the chaos that's happening, not only in our country, but the world. And I've been asking myself two questions. It's like a really simple thought experiment. And you don't actually even have to answer. Just the the practice of doing it helps relieve that stress, I think. Um, are my thoughts useful? And how do they behave? And then just like letting go. So even if that only helps one person, I thought that I would share it since maybe there. I have no idea how many people are watching. But if one person can uh, be relieved of a little bit of worry or stress due to that, I'm stoked.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And absolutely these are trying times for a lot of us on uh many levels, regardless of what stage of life that we're in. You know, I mean we have uh you know, both both Andrew and I have, have small kids and it's trying for them to even think about what they're going through now. It's so unlike anything that we went through. You know, like when we were growing up, we didn't have to deal with this. I guess maybe once every hundred years we have something like this happen with the pandemic or something, but you know, that's, that's why it's important to be surrounded by passionate, creative people, you know, who are trying to stay focused on what we do. And, you know, through the art and the, and the passion and through the, sorry, the, through the art and the technology uh, and the creativity of what we do, try to have a positive influence on people's lives around us. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's, that. that's, the, yeah, that's the key thing. So last but not least, this is my canned question for everybody. As we outro, uh, you have any words of advice or inspiration for future adventure writers? Andrew, you want to kick this off? Oh, man. Fu- you mean future adventure
3: riders? You mean like mm-hmm. people who haven't got into it yet? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just that it's just about the best way to travel. You can go anywhere you want. And you can get away from the, the bus routes and the train routes and the, the kind of hostel routes and all that stuff. Throw away the Lonely Planet book and <laughs> just ride off into the sunset on a back road. And, you know, it's just the best way to travel. There, it's the closest thing that I can think of to getting on a horse in the wild west and just riding off into the sunset.
0: <laughs> right on. Yeah. Right on, right on. And then uh Pete Nashley,
1: buy the ticket, take the ride. I think a lot of people are curious about international travel and they sit there with all these mental machinations of what might happen or how dangerous it is and surely you will survive. So just buy the ticket and go on the ride. Not now, of course. We can't do that, but <laughs> one day. <laughs> 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 one day. <laughs> Maybe now.
3: Maybe now is a great time. Yes, oh, yeah. You don't need to take it. Just get on Yeah, the I'm not
1: endorsing right. it. That, I, I would never. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. All right. Pete, what do you think?
2: Uh, I think it, it, if you're nervous, that's the whole fucking point. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it, it, it <laughs> if a trip doesn't make you a little bit nervous, don't do it. You know? So if motorcycles make you nervous, the travel makes you nervous, whatever that boundary is, it's right in front of you. You know, like, Things that make me nervous might not make Quinn Cody nervous, you know what I mean? But that, but Quinn Cody's got things that make him nervous. That's the whole point is to kind of find that boundary and then test it, and then find a new one and test it. And motorcycles and travel, man, there's just like I've gone through a lot of sports and a lot of crazy things in my life, and nothing has continued to, to deliver that feeling to me uh, like motorcycles and travel.
0: So That's give it real. a go. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, to it, uh, if you guys don't mind hanging around, we'll green room for a little bit uh, after the show is over. But uh, you know, thanks for thanks for coming on. Okay.
3: Right
0: on. Thanks, thanks a lot, Carl. Thanks, Cheers. thanks ADV Moto. Yeah, bye. All right. Loved hearing some of the stories from the Moscow crew, and uh, we expect that there's going to be some more down the road. But although we may not be a giant industry by many standards, you know, companies like Moscow not only provide uh, equipment that people need to have safe adventure experiences, but also keep the ADV world growing by making people excited about adventure and living a life um, Setting an example through living and uh, getting folks out there to see the world. Please visit moscomoto.com for some great gear. But please join us on October 1st for the next ADV Moto Live. That's number 16 when we speak with Steve Gatoski and Heather Wilson from the AMA about adventure, events, and the benefits of riding for us all. As always, your support means a lot and keeps the motorcycle world running. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our channel. Visit adventuremotorcycle.com. For more news, reviews, videos, podcasts, merch, and much more. So until next time, from everyone here at the ADV Moto Crew, ride safe, have fun.